0: Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. I'm Jack and once again I'm joined by Benji and Ale. Today we are joined by Tori Penso. Tori is the general manager of the National Intercollegiate Soccer Official Association, also known as NISA. and she was the first woman to referee an MLS game in the past 20 years for a total of three matches in a debut season. What an achievement.
1: In today's podcast we talked about what Netawe is and how it gives alternative pathways to match officials in the United States which I found really interesting. It's so different. Yeah, completely different to what we have here in Australia. We also talked about her journey to the MLS and obviously her debut game, how she felt, the emotions and and how it's gone since then. And we also talked about her life as a mum, you know, possibly the biggest challenge in her life having having three kids and our mindset of leaning in and what I really loved was her mindset of saying yes to opportunities and then figuring the other stuff out later yes we can do it okay now how do we figure it out I really like that mindset I really really like that attitude
0: absolutely you always want to seize the moment you don't ever want to give up any opportunity
1: because if you don't do it someone else will absolutely so some really interesting stuff in today's podcast let's get on with it Stand by to get us underway. the referee is Tori Penso it's soccer time in Tennessee
2: Hi, Tori hi how are you good how are you guys doing I recognize that background yes do you have you seen many many shows
0: yes so I was like oh there you go that that's familiar <laughs> well Tori thank you again for joining us today we are extremely excited to have you we heard a lot of, about you from uh, Christina and John Oh, they no. both joined Us Premium Podcast. Oh, <laughs> it's it's good, all good, I promise. Lies. Yeah, all good.
2: It's all lies, whatever they said. <laughs>
0: uh, as a matter of fact, I spoke to Christina yesterday, and uh, she was saying that a couple of days ago, you were, you were together yes. uh, getting ready for a fitness test, if I'm correct.
2: Indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, we went, uh, I, I joined her down south. She's about 45 minutes south of me. And uh, we, what we do on Sundays, you know, we spend time at the track sprinting with our children all running around the track and jumping over, (laughs) you know, normally people have hurdles on tracks, we're jumping over scooters and bikes, Uh, but that's a, you know, a Sunday training for us.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. That's a question I had because both you and Christina are both married to MLS referees and you're an MLS referee yourself. So is there something in Florida that there, is there a big referee club and you guys hang out?
2: (laughs) Something in the water, I guess. (laughs) Uh, No, we're actually really close to the uncles. They're uh, good family friends of ours and our children hang out too. So uh, I I think when you can make it more than just a job and you guys can banter about the good and the bad and and the indifferent, it makes it a, a little bit easier to swallow, I suppose. Oh,
0: absolutely. I love it. Like, you know, we always talk about how refereeing, it's more than just rocking out at a pitch and doing your game. Uh, you know, I always say Jack and I met five, six years ago, whatever. No, maybe more, eight years ago. And the first time he met me, he thought I was a weirdo. Still and do. then last year he ended up. Yeah, well, still, it's fair. And then last year he ended up being my best man at my wedding. Aww. So the the relationships you form for refereeing are so amazing, uh, and many people don't see this aspect of as official. They don't understand. They don't know. You know the general public.
2: Yeah, we're not humans to the general public, right? Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's. Uh, that's it. we're just a referee someone that rocks up tells them they're wrong in that's it. yeah awesome. you want to um i'm um, oh, so, sorry
1: i like i cut you off no, go i was for it, gonna say to, do you want to maybe kick off by by telling us a little bit about um what you do you roll it nissawa and then maybe we'll get on to your your actual referee in, in a little bit sure. did i pronounce that right Nisoa, nissawa
2: no you, you butchered it but that's okay <laughs> 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 i think with the accent you have it doesn't really sound like butchering it, it sounds lovely maybe oh, better than stuff. when you say it so. <laughs> We'll take it. Uh, it's nice sew up and it's the national organization uh, governing body of collegiate officials. So we have roughly 5,000 officials who are specific to the collegiate game. So in the United States, the college game is a little bit different than um, IFAB and or FIFA and or the international game. We have different rules. um, And so they are called rules and not laws. That's the first thing (laughs) um, that I always get tongue tied when I speak about the two differences. But um, in the college game, it's really about the student athlete um, Um, You know, we'll never see the game Get is similar to IFAB because IFAB is more about the professionalism, um, you know. Whereas Collegiate, we want to see as many students get their opportunity on the pitch as possible. So we have kind of these crazy sub rules that really allow almost everybody on the pitch at any given time, <laughs> almost like you know hockey, like they just jump off the ice. It's that kind of a substitution essentially. Um, but it's really focused on making sure that the student athletes get their opportunity on the pitch. Um, and likewise, like Descent is a lot different because it's more like a classroom. It's the extension of the classroom, if you will. So um, a lot. Lower tolerance on you know those types of behaviors, uh, so it's a little bit different um, in, a, in a number of different respects. But um, so the collegiate official you have to be uh, certified to be a college official, and um, our NISO officials you know officiate all across the United States in all the conferences, major conferences, D one, D two, D three, and so I have had the opportunity to become the managing director starting January of this year not knowing that COVID was around the corner, (laughs) actually already at the corner, like already upon us, but we hadn't quite uh, acknowledged it yet, I suppose. Um, But anyway, so I I joined the organization. It was really a blessing in disguise for me. Previously, I was in an advertising agency and working, um, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours. Um, and then, you know, gone every weekend doing soccer and trying to squeeze training in at 5 a.m. and, you know, crazy life schedule. Um, and then I got some really cool opportunities um, and appointments to do some international um, exhibitions and things. Um, and I got really short notice on that. And what I recognized was I wasn't going to be able to keep a full time gig and say yes to all the opportunities I was about to, to get or felt like I was. Um, so I had to give something. So I left the advertising agency world. I um, was really lucky, an opening happened at NISOA. I got a phone call and they were like, would you like to join? Um, so it is part-time for me, which is perfect. Um, so I have enough time to spend with the family because our girls are very young. I do this, you know, part-time and then I also um, have enough time to handle all the travel and all the um, challenges that come with trying to, you know, move up the ranks in the professional <laughs> officiating
1: world. So Very that's good. it that And so, so how big was the shock when, So you started in January and then um, when, when did COVID hit the States? Here it was kind of around March. I remember the last game I refereed was in March. Was it around the same time?
2: Yeah, March is when we kind of shut the doors and, and closed everything off.
1: So, so how did you go? You know, you had a, a really enjoyable first month or two. You said, oh, you know, find your yeah. feet. This is great. I like this role. And then bang football or soccer has has stopped. (laughs) How did that go?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the scary thing was like nobody knew when it would end or if it ever would. Right. So to stop and then not know what the future holds, I think is that's unknown, makes most people super uncomfortable. Right. Um, But I think at NYSO, we did a really good job of just powering through it and saying, okay, let's just assume all of our in-person clinics we spent so many months planning, (laughs) getting all the fine details are all now canceled. And let's just assume everything we did in person, we could now do virtually because why not, right? Obviously, there'll be things that will be different, but it'll also open us up to a broader audience. Whereas we would have had 150 people in the classroom. Now we can have 500 people Right? join a live session because they don't have to travel in, they don't have to commit that much, right? So there's benefits to the virtual piece. And we had to figure out what was the right platform and how do we keep it engaging? How do we ask questions? How do we have breakout sessions? How do we still look at video? You know, all these things that you do in person and take for granted of the in-person experience and try and bring it online. Luckily, I was also a professor at the time um, over at the University of South Florida working um, at their program, Teaching Social Media. So I also had to kind of take my entire classroom and move it online. So I had to work through all these challenges all the same. So we pretty much said, let's just keep the whole program and do it online. And I think we were able to put together even better, for better than ever really, educational platform because we could ask people and they were less of a commitment. You know, Howard Webb didn't have to take time away from, everything and come to us for a weekend, he could just join us for an hour and a half, right? And so we were able to get a lot of high name profiles just because it was a lot more convenient to jump on, you know, a web and uh, how quick discussion than it was to travel somewhere. So I think we benefited in a lot of ways. Um, And we had a number of different educational series that came out of it and we just kept powering through it. And as we're planning for 2021, we're just assuming everything will be online. And now we've had some experience of working in the COVID world. So we had some college games go off uh, this past fall and spring should happen. There's some conferences that are still determining whether or not they'll move forward, but um, we should have some spring games. And so now we're we're starting to learn like, okay, so what does refereeing in COVID look like? You know, what, how do you use an electronic whistle effectively? Can you, what does that look like? How do you have a backup to an electronic whistle on the pitch? I had my electronic whistle actually, you know, go dead on me in the middle of the field while I was calling a yellow card. That happened. <laughs> I didn't even know there were things. <laughs> There's a thing and they're terrible. I'll be honest. They're terrible. But you know, we talk with our whistle <laughs> An electronic whistle is not speaking for us at all. Hmm. Um, but yeah, in the States, it was required for a couple conferences So we had electronic whistles, they're about this big, about six inches and you have to hold it. It's terrible. But um, yeah, so things like that. And then how do you, we used to like carpool with our crews, but now that's, you know, incurred risk. So let's not carpool Mm. with our crews, things like that. Um, But anyway, all to say we were able to, um, hopefully put together some learnings and then, you know, come January, February, we'll be putting out some COVID best practices to help people as they look to get back on the pitch in this very weird world we're in. Cool. And obviously,
1: you know, we've seen some of the guests you had and you mentioned some that it's been a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal lineup you've managed to put together. Have you found the refs have, you know, have they leaned in more? Have people actually become more involved because it has become more accessible or have people sort of switched off for a little bit? Have you found the responses?
2: Yeah. So it's an interesting question because we're, we're gauging apples to oranges, right? Because we're saying in-person versus online, right? So we have more eyeballs and more ears than we ever have before, but that's to be expected, right? Because we're not expecting them to come in. So it's hard to compare, I would say. you know, My hope moving forward is that NISOA as a governing body, you know, we used to be you know, referees would just come out for a paycheck. And our hope is that we're getting more young, aspiring officials who want to learn, who want to get better, who are ambitious and want to maybe use the college game as a platform to get to the professional ranks. And that's how I did it. That's how a lot of others have. Um, so our hopes is that we're, we're getting more members who are eager to learn, who want to learn. And so my hope is that we can continue to create information that is accessible and relevant and important for everyone to know. And I think you put good content out there, and I think the right people will show up.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, hopefully we we found that with Ref Coach, or that's what we aspire to do with Ref Coach as well. So we're definitely right. definitely on similar pages. So can you tell us a little bit about? For you guys in the States, it might be very obvious, but for us in Australia, and I'm sure overseas as well, you talk about how refs can use um, the college game as a platform to get where they want to. Can you explain that a little bit? It's, it's not.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'll take the women's side of the game, right? So we have NWSL, as our professional league in the United States, the next best soccer in the United States on the women's side is college, is D1 college. It is isn't some of our other feeder professional leagues, D2, D3s. The next best soccer is UNC versus Duke. The next best uh, is some of our biggest college rivalries, right? So um, for females coming up through the the channels of the women's rank, if they want to get to NWSL, the next best soccer for them to officiate and get used to the speed and the type of challenges and the players is really the collegiate game. So, um, you know, we encourage females to get opportunities and starting at D3, work your way to D2, work your way to D1 and some of your high profile D1 games. And then that's very similar, a very easier transition into NWSL than it is maybe anything else, really, that we have in the United States. On the men's side, um, it's a little bit different, but majority of our players still choose to go play college before they play professional. You're starting to see that change more now, but a lot of teenagers that are going over and playing in Europe and getting some experience, right? So you're seeing a little bit of a transition there, but historically they would still go because you can get a four years of college paid for, uh, and then still go play professional. Right. But still some of our best players, um, are coming through the collegiate ranks. And, uh, so that's the way that, that you can also get some opportunities for me personally, I was hitting some plateaus. I wasn't able to get some opportunities I was hoping for at the professional level. And when you can't, because of whatever reason. An assigner doesn't agree with your style, right? We've all experienced that, right? Or whatever other, you know, personnel or political reasons might exist. And they they do for a variety of reasons. College is a way to say, okay, so if I can't go this avenue, let me go try this avenue. So at least I'm still getting experience, exposure, opportunity. I'm still getting to blow the whistle in a very competitive way. And I'm getting that experience so that maybe when I come back over to the professional ranks, I'll be that much more polished and ready. And someone might say yes, then, right? And so it's an opportunity to continue to get experience at a very high level, high pace game. While it's different um, in a variety of different ways, um, it still provides a great learning experience um, for officials.
1: I think it's really interesting that you have almost a second channel. You know, I you know, can only talk from experience of refereed in in Australia, and oh. I started refereeing in England. That that doesn't exist. You know, you've got a linear, yeah. you've got a linear pathway, and and that's it. You know, if you fall off that linear pathway. You know, sure you can get back on at a later time, but there's no plan B like you guys have. I think it's quite unique, but also quite cool and definitely beneficial to, to referees.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we have we had a joke in the United States. It's like, you, know, you don't like how things are, just wait a year or two and it'll change, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because we have so much leadership and structural change happening at such a rapid pace. You know, sometimes it's like you hit plateaus, you hit things, and it's like, it doesn't work that way. Shift over, try a different way. Try college, try a different avenue. But what's most important is we continue to blow our whistle and we continue to learn every game, right? And if you do that, have that mentality, you will get better um, and hopefully you'll get seen, right? By the right people.
0: That's very interesting. Definitely different as Jack pointed out. So how did you get noticed? What was your pathway? <laughs> yeah,
2: mine's very unique, I would say. Um, so I my first year blowing the whistle in NWSL was 2015. Previously, I was actually running lines in the WPS. Which was super cool. Except I learned, I like I don't like to run lines. I'm like terrible at it. Yeah. Um. I don't like. Yeah. You're with me on. You're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, what I learned is like I don't like someone to tell me when I need to run how fast. And like when I need to stop running, like I want to go at my own pace here, right? And I also like my favorite part of the game is management and talking to players. And when you're on the line, you only get opportunities that come to you, right? So only when the players come towards you, do you get the opportunity to really have that type of dialogue or opportunity, right? So I was like, I don't like this. It's not my thing. Um, So that's what I learned from that experience. But uh, I started in in, in NWSL in 2015, had a couple games, um, and then had uh, baby number two. Um, So we've had three beautiful little girls. So I've been lucky to do that. Um, But with every comeback, it's been an interesting journey. So um, I've only gotten to such level before I ended up pregnant again with another child. (laughs) But um, it's been super cool because as you know, my husband and I have talked about, like I've come back stronger and fitter and more ready after each pregnancy. Because what happened was when you take nine months, 12 months off the pitch, you realize how much you miss it and how important it is. Right. And that's probably how people are feeling with COVID. Right. After you've been off the pitch, you're like, man, this was such a part of my world, right? Um, there's a piece of me missing when I'm not out there doing that, right? Uh, with the people that I love to do it with, um, you're running around the field, there's nothing more exhilarating, right? Um, and so what I realized is I missed it so much. So I came back hungrier to get further than I ever had before, right? So in 2019, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Generation Adidas, which is a tournament. Uh, and it's essentially like the next generation of MLS. Um, So it's put on by MLS um, and it brings um, some international club teams over as well. They have 15s and 17s at that tournament. But what I knew is that the entire new uh, board of Pro2, all those that make decisions in Pro2, i.e. all the professional leagues, was going to be there. So while it was a, I think it was like a seven or 10 day commitment, it was a very long time to commit, especially when you're a mom with three children. I knew that it was the right thing at the right time for me to commit to. And it panned out. So I went and the entire pro two group was like, where have you been Tori? I'm like, I've been here. (laughs) And so right out of that, um, I had uh, NWSL whistles and got some USL assignments. So because of that tournament getting exposed and having, you know, multiple people at a very high level get to see me, I ended up doing the final of the 15s at that tournament as well. So uh, great tournament. And that kind of propelled me into, uh, the pro two group, which I got assigned a coach. I started in, we have tiers. I started in the, the training tier as they called it. I called it the training training pot, potty training. Tier. <laughs> but um, it was just like, you know, a lot of busy work, a lot of paperwork due each week, um, just to make sure that you were committed, essentially to the program. So um, I started in training tier D, and then moved up to C. Um, and then in 2020 got promoted to B. Um, and then from there, um, 2020 was kind of a crazy year for us all. I started the season it worked opening weekend in USL. It was like my year. I was, I was using the hashtag all in, like that was my hashtag. It was like, I'm all in on soccer. I've committed to it for this year. I, you know, I'm doing the nice gig. I'm all in. And then like COVID right. happened <laughs> and it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like, man, but um, you know, I think at the end of the day, what COVID showed us is we have to stay fit. We have to stay focused because you don't know when that call up's going to happen. You don't know when the phone's going to ring and say, "Hey, we need you. Soccer starting in a couple weeks," <laughs> and that's what happened because we had the NWSL Challenge Cup which I got invited to. And it was just me and the the female FIFAs, which was super cool. Um, Really neat experience. Um, You know, one of the females there, Katja had been to a World Cup and has experienced what those tournaments are like. And she was like, it's very similar, um, except this was just longer. (laughs) So I think it was a really cool experience for me to get to see what it's like to be away from home for 30 plus days, 110% focused on soccer, training, games. Um, You know, I was doing a game every two days And so what my focus was, was really recovery, which I learned was such an important part that was never really part of my game (laughs) until you get into kind of tournament format. Um, So the Challenge Cup was super cool, super exciting. Um, And then I walked my way up and was the fourth official in the final, which was an awesome experience. And then um, shortly thereafter, got the call up uh, for MLS, which was obviously super exciting.
0: Yeah, starting, uh, you know, like a good social media teacher from the hashtag in. Well, you got it spot on to start uh, to start because, the obviously, then that happened. So, how was it? How was, did you get a call from Web? Did the phone ring? Did the, did the big face of our web pop up on your iPhone and when? Howie's
2: calling? <laughs> you don't know, and when you say it like that, it sounds very anticlimactic what actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> I got an email, <laughs> as assignments do. You know, what I will commend the, the leadership team at Pro for doing is they didn't make it a big deal. Like there was no mention of this being some type of monumental moment for the league or for anybody. It was just like, bing, here's your assignment. Here are the things like it was just like another uh, game assignment, which was kind of cool. But there's this awesome video my husband has because he was so kind to record me. Um, but I got the notice and um, the guys actually had been pinging me about it. They're like, hey, have you gotten a game yet? And I'm like, guys, knock it off. Like, I think they all had a feeling it was coming where I was like, I don't see this coming anytime soon. Stop being a bunch of jerks like guys, knock it off, you know? And I was just actually replying to a guy who texted me. He's like, Hey, did you get an assignment? And I'm like, no, oh, man, like you guys knock it off. Right. Like I was in the middle of texting him, like this really nasty message back, like leave me alone. Right. And sure enough, Chris yells in the kitchen. He's like, Hey, you got an assignment. Like, oh, okay. let me check it out. Assuming it was another fourth official I looked at it and I was like, Oh my gosh, It says referee. And I literally like leaped off of the couch and just started like dancing around the house. And he videotapes me and it's, very embarrassing. Um, but I do get some ups. Like I have some leaps in that, that is very impressive, but, um, uh, yeah,
0: (laughs) it was, Uh, that's awesome.
2: It was super cool. I didn't expect it, you know, so it came kind of out of the blue and obviously I wanted to go run out on the soccer field right away and just like officiate the game. Right. Of course. Um, that's not the case. I had 10 days to wait. Uh, and I don't think I slept for the first four or five.
0: (laughs) Uh, the pressure of people texting you, did you get an assignment? Did you get an assignment? They would have build it up like that, you know, the stress of it, like, hang on, why is everyone telling me like like all the peer pressure?
2: (laughs) Right. And it had been happening for like a week or two where people were like, Hey, did you get something? Did you get something? I'm like, "No." Like at this point guys, just like, I'll let you know, right. If something happens, but um, obviously everybody kind of knew before me that something was, there's a leak
1: and you just were the one who uh, (laughs) weren't aware of it.
2: Pretty much. And even if they told me like, I would have been like, I don't believe you. (laughs)
1: so how did um so you said you got the appointment 10 days before um what was that 10 days like in terms of preparation physically mentally obviously uh presume there's a bit of travel involved how early did you go over
2: yeah so that's one thing that's different about us in the united states right i think game two i was in portland it was a six hour flight right and so you know much different than other countries where you just jump on a, a train maybe or it's a short drive like all of our stadiums, I'm jumping on a plane, you know, Um, and I'm, I'm traveling. It's a full day of travel for us. Right. But essentially, you know, I got the assignment and then reality sinks in and it's like, Oh crap. Like I don't even have women's cut jerseys. Like I had men's cut jerseys so what I was given. So I'm like, how do I get like a jersey that actually fits me? So then I start pinging all the FIFA girls because they all have uh, Adidas kits that they get. And I'm like, do you, do you have a woman small? Like, oh, and I'm trying to, you know, source through jerseys. Can you expedite that to me? <laughs> you know, things to that. And then like Volcaro, I didn't have the set that needs VAR. Luckily, you know, my husband, Chris does. So I was like, okay, got, got that set. So like things that you don't think about, but I was like, oh man, like how do I wear this? How do I do this? I've never worn Valcaro under a woman's cut shirt. And if you see the women's cut Adidas shirts, they have like an inch of a sleeve. It
1: always sticks out <laughs> on the female officials. I don't know how they haven't solved that problem. Cause I think it looks awful, but
2: it happens everywhere right. in the world. Because it's an inch of a sleeve, right?
1: Yeah. It's different here though. So for RV, when we have our normal comms, but we have VAR comms and it's actually like a vest. So there's no arm patches anymore. It's like a, you stick on like a vest.
0: Like a bulletproof vest.
1: <laughs> yeah, like a bulletproof vest. But what that's it really is, cute. is a
2: bulletproof vest, right? Like that. Yeah, they're not
1: you. telling us. It <laughs> you
2: guys look it's actually calm.
1: The calm <laughs> just comes out the back and sits on your ear. So there's no more arm stuff, which is a shame, right? Yeah, I you don't like get, get to look huge sure. when i <laughs>
2: So they joke, they're like, hey, do you want to use you know beeper flags? I'm always like, yes, because I need evenly <laughs> distributed muscles, right? So yeah. be yeah. on side, and I need my beepers in the other, so I look like I've eaten guns, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, in UEFA, they've just shown on the, the last episode of uh, The Man in the Middle that Macron actually have built these undergarments with pockets for the, all the receivers. Yeah. So they have all the VAR pockets, all the beeper flag pockets, so inside they have spaces. For it, so maybe maybe one day all uh, all brands will get to to that level of uh, detail for referees.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. Tell MLS that you need it. put in, uh, who who do you guys wear? Adidas.
2: We wear Adidas. Now it's going yeah. to change moving forward. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, tell tell the future provider that you know you need it. We vouch for you, and and there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> so 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 once you'd managed to source your kit,
2: how did the week go from there? So it was interesting. You know, I've been training. I, you know, we don't stop training. We train five, six days a week, but there was a different intensity to my training. There was a bit of purpose to my training, right? Like I was telling my husband, I would. I would jump out for my warm up, and all of a sudden I had like this little pep in my step as I was running because I knew there was a game on Sunday. That was my biggest game of my career. And for some reason, everything had more purpose. You know, the food I ate, the nutrition I had, the energy I put in my body, right? The training I had, everything had purpose in it. Whereas before I was just kind of like, hey, you know, whatever, maintenance for the season. But all of a sudden there was like purpose and intention behind everything that I was doing. And it was a really cool feeling
0: sounds like a dream (laughs) it's one of those things when you get the big appointments you just can't stop thinking about them every day every night. you just go through this loop it's like oh and you just imagine yourself doing it and walking into the pitch and the emotion the happiness is like oh it's happening is it really happening is it true am i dreaming you could tell you could feel that motion yeah. coming through Zoom is like this
3: being hit by this wave of oh amazement. <laughs> and then you get to you get to the game itself. And how does that compare yeah. to these um, to the preparation? I, I find when I, I prepare for a game, I have this image in my mind and I really think through okay, this is what the field's gonna look like, this is what the team's gonna look like, this is what I'm gonna do. And then sometimes
2: when I get there, it doesn't really go to plan. No, it never does, right? <laughs> like that's why we prepare. I guess, <laughs> but um yeah, you know. Similarly, I do visualization. I, you know, doing my homework on the teams, the matchups, what it looks like, all, all that jazz, so that I feel really confident and prepared as I head into it, right? Um, but when you get there, you know, the splinter colors go off in the twenty-something minute, right? Like that's that's what happens, you know. Um, but it was it was definitely cool um, getting the stadium, knowing that I was the person in charge. It kind of changes. A little bit of, of the dialogue and the approach to everything from the way you, you know, enter the locker room. Um, and so that was super cool and a really neat experience for me. I had obviously a stellar crew, right? Um, which was awesome. I think combined, they had like 500 plus MLS games. Um, so I was definitely in good hands. I, I told them that they could have had a blind person referee this game with their support. <laughs> so uh, that was great to have that level of, you know, power behind me which is super cool but you know throughout the day even i was getting messages and emails and texts you know from across the world of people and it was overwhelming i would say i think some of the highlights were You know, my peers, even some of the guys who worked in the league, the Jairs, the Ish, the Kevin Stotts of the world who said, you know, not just good luck, but like, good luck. You deserve this. You've earned this. You belong. Like those types of sentiments from my male counterparts were really powerful for me because it's one thing to be, you know, absorbed, you know, and say that that pro-leadership thinks you deserve, but it's another thing to say that your peers acknowledge that you deserve it and have earned it. I think that was really cool. It also taught me something that I will do forever for for guys on their first games is reach out and say, you've earned this, you've deserved this, welcome. Because it just really was very special to hear it from my peers. But then obviously, you know, Carrie Seitz and Mark Geiger sent me a really nice note the day of the game and just said, you know, you do you. And I was like, oh, I can do that. (laughs) right? Like that was the best advice I had. I was like, oh, okay. Like I'm worrying about all these other things. And he's like, you just do you. No one else can do you and you just do it. I'm like, yes. I can do that, you know? And so that put me a little bit at ease. He also said it didn't have to be perfect. It just had to be good. And I think as officials, we want it to be perfect, right? And we strive so much for perfection, Um, but it's never really ever perfect, right? (laughs) Um, But it's that striving for perfection and that hunger behind trying to get to that perfect match that I think keeps us all in this crazy game uh, that we love so dearly. But yeah, so when I got there at the game, you know, there were no fans. So that was just an eerie you know, effect of COVID that we all have to deal with. You don't have that extra adrenaline, but I will say, I think it makes the games a little bit more slower, a little bit more paced. Um, like I was ready for like balls to the wall, right? Like I was like physically prepared to just like run my ass off until like I passed out in the locker room, right? And the game was not at all at that level of pace, right? So I was a bit taken back, I would say. I was like, oh, okay, this is like a jog kind of thing with a couple sprints, I can do this, right? So it wasn't physically demanding at all. It definitely was mentally, you know, I think, not knowing any of the players. I'm new. Nobody recognizes me. No one knows who I am. You know, uh, we had an interview with one of the major league baseball umpires in our recent NYSOA fireside chat series. And he said something that really sat with me. He said, you know, when you get to the next league, when you get to that next level, it's not a destination. It's not something that you put a flagpole on and you're like, Hey, I made it. It's now this whole new step right? Where you have to work all over again because nobody knows you. You haven't built any clout here and you have to like start all over essentially. (laughs) And I was like, very true. Like here I am, like I made it. I put my flag pull down, like I'm here. And it's like, oh shit, no, you have so much more work to do. Right. And you know, nobody recognizes me, all the clout I had built up over the last couple of years in USL, all those guys trusted me. We had built a good rapport. Now I'm in a league where none of these guys know me. And it's really about, you know, Building that credibility as quickly as they can, and so uh, there's a different edge or you know way you approach the game when that's the case, right? So I came out there and you know blew the whistle. I think once you blow that whistle, everything settles, right? And you just focus on the game at hand and the task and making the next decision right, uh, whatever that decision is. So that's kind of how.
1: We're really excited to have launched the Ref Coach members area on the website. We're going to be putting loads of fun, exciting, educational content on there, so you need to become a member. Head to the Ref Coach website, RefCoach.org, to sign yourself up.
3: I guess it's super interesting. It's still um, the full professional game. It's on TV, the high stakes, but you're in there, and I can't really imagine what it's like without without the crowd. It could almost feel like the most competitive game of, of park soccer or that it must have been the weirdest feeling to have been in such a still such a serious and highly competitive environment but you're you're really just hearing the players and and the coaches
2: yeah I mean there's a clip of me during a corner kick where you can hear me loud and clear in the clubs right that the tv picks up and I'm like oh my gosh but you know sure enough I'm yelling at the guys and I'm saying I'm right here knock it off I'm you know and, and people gave me accolades for that and the player management and I think it actually gave benefit to the referees, I think in a lot of places, because you know most of the media and general public don't realize how much communication we have throughout the match, throughout the game, right? Typically, you know, a spa card doesn't pull out of my pocket unless I've told them, let go, let go, I'm right here, right? Like I've tried to prevent that foul from occurring and then they still do it, right? In which case, here's your card, right? Um, but I don't think the general public understands that or recognizes that so I think the quiet stadiums has given us a little bit of benefit a little element um, shown off a little bit of our personalities as officials so there's that benefit Um, but I do think it is it is a bit eerie uh, and I am excited to get back to having some fans in the stands that's for sure.
1: I think what you just said is a really good point. We saw it in Australia, and I'm not sure if, if the clip or the video made it over to the States, but Jared Gillette, was our best referee here, moved over to the UK and referees in the championship. In his last game, um, they published the the comms or they clipped up the comms and did a really cool, it was about three or four minute video And I had so many of my friends who are football fans, but don't know anything about refereeing go, wow. Like, is that what happens on the pitch? You guys talk to the players so much. Like, I didn't know this happened. I was like, yeah, this happens every game. And Jared's brilliant at it. So he, you know, it looked fantastic. But I was like, yeah, every referee does this. This is what our bread and butter is. You guys just never see this.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's, You know, that's what makes some of the best officials is when they can have these types of dialogue with players, right? And being able to communicate effectively in short bits of of time, right? You don't get a lot of time to sit down and have a cup of tea with them, but, you know, rather your short, quick little bursts of information to try and, you know, defend the call that you maybe did or didn't make, or to prevent something from future happening. If you recognize there's a fire between two guys and you can just go by and say, I'm watching it, knock it off. I'm aware of it. Right. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Right. And so it's that kind of stuff that makes the difference uh, in some of the higher level officials, I think, for sure.
0: How was the coming down of that game?
2: (laughs) I I think I'm still up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the biggest, the biggest high
2: ever. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. you know, I came off the stadium and I think it was funny. We were walking off the pitch and a gentleman came and handed me the game ball, which I wasn't expecting to receive. And I just kind of was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is that moment, right? Where we completed this match. You know, we did the game justice. We created value in, in the match and we walk off the pitch. I get in the locker room. I looked at my teammate. I was like, I don't want to leave the field. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't want to go. Like, do I have to leave now? <laughs> can I just stay here can I sit in the middle of the field and just soak it in for a moment you know
0: just get some more added time we'll play play 20 20
1: minutes of added time yeah I can do it
2: (laughs) we're just going to keep going we're going to play all night
1: I know a ref in the UK who was fourth official and got into the middle at a level he'd never played before and he played like 15 minutes extra time and at the end of the game was asked why and he goes I was enjoying myself so much I didn't want it to end
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's too much too funny Uh, (laughs) I guess we could do it. So.
1: You could have done that too. When your fourth official puts up 17 minutes out of time and everyone looks like, it, what,
2: what the hell's going on? Oh my
1: <laughs> um, gosh. Do too. But it didn't end, did it? You you've you've kicked on. You have you've, you've had some more games in the MLS and uh, presumably this is just the beginning of things for you.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the hope, right? Um, you know, came back in the locker room, had some tears straight down my face. You know, my team kind of all embraced me. I think that's when the moment kind of hit me of how significant it was. Um, you know, I had some of the guys in my career reach out to me and say it was the, the most monumental game they had been a part of in their personal careers, right? Which I thought was super cool as well. So it was just overall a really cool moment, you know, getting that text message from Howard Webb after the game that was like, welcome to MLS. I was like, I'm here. Ah, <laughs> uh, goosebumps. <laughs> right? Welcome to MLS. I was like, wow, yeah, I'm here. I, I made it, right? And um, now the hope is, can I stay? Right. And that's where the real work comes in play. So, like you mentioned, I had a couple other games. I think my last one was my best one. So I think that just shows, you know, I'm adaptable, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm getting, you know, better, more comfortable, more confident with each match. And I hope that, you know, next year I get some more opportunities and then you know the end goals to get in. Invited to be a part of the senior group of officials, which is really a matter of if they have spots available. So with COVID budget cuts, you know the likelihood looks less and less, a little dimmer. Um, But that's okay. Maybe it's two years out before that happens. But at the end of the day, if I'm competing at that level and I'm prepared for it, uh, you know my hope is that I I get a part of that senior group um, of officials and then become a regular in the MLS, which would be a dream come true. Awesome!
1: How cool would that be? Changing tack a little bit, I'd love to know how, you know, you've mentioned you had to take some time off uh, as you're having your kids. And obviously you juggle three kids, your husband's an MLS referee as well. How on earth does that work? I mean, uh, it's similar to what we talked to Christina about, but how do you do that?
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, uh, I was told coming up from some pretty high level females that you can't have children and do this. I guess you can't. And I was like, oh, but I want to, right? Like, I love soccer. I want to keep doing this, but I also want to have a family, right? And so I want to, can can we make it work, right? And I think having a partner like Chris who understands and shares my passion, right? And like likewise, I do him. So, you know, when he's gone for a three-day trip or, you know, a seven-day camp or a five-day camp plus a three-day trip for, for you know, a 10-day spill, I understand why, you know, I'm not sitting there going, you know, getting angry at him or shooting him nasty text messages or something of that nature that we do in relationships just because we get emotionally wrapped up in it. But rather, I'm supporting his passions. And I know why he's there. And if he could be home, he would be home. But instead, he's there getting the education that he needs to excel in his career. So I support him. And likewise, when I get an opportunity, um, you know, we've always empowered each other to say yes, right? When it's something big, we say yes. And we'll figure out the details later. We'll figure out the childcare. We'll figure out my mom will come, you know, his sister will come, we'll get a nanny. We'll figure out the childcare, but let's not let that be a reason we say no, right? So if we get a really cool opportunity, let's say yes, and we'll figure out the details later. And that's kind of been our mantra. We've always, you know, knock on wood, we've always figured it out, right? And we had, you know, full-time nanny, we'll probably have a full-time nanny again next year. And it's very difficult to find a nanny to say, Hey, you know, it's not an eight to five Monday through Friday kind of gig. (laughs) It's kind of crazy, weird hours and it's overnights and we get 10 day notice on shit. Are you cool with that? (laughs) You know, so it takes a unique person who's able to sign up for a gig like that. Right. Um, And so a lot of times we have soccer players right now. We have a, female official who's actually our nanny and helps out. So uh, feeding back into the, the soccer family, it's people who love this game just as much as I do and understand what it is that we're doing, right? Um, that really gets it. So that's what's worked for us. And, you know, I'm happy that we're able to make this happen and that I can look down at, at you know, girls coming up and say, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can do this. It's not easy, No we said it was gonna be easy, right? But you can do it. And I think at the end of the day, I think we are a a better family. I think I'm a better mom because I can spend time away and come back. And then I love them like 10 times more because I miss them so much (laughs) while I was gone, right? You know, and so I think time away for any parent is really important for your own sanity, right? Even just like a plane ride to just reflect on things I think is really important and as parents sometimes we don't get that time and when we do get that time it's usually like 10 p.m at night and we're so exhausted we're not actually using that time wisely you know so I think it's important for parents to spend a little time away from the kids and I think it makes it us all better more whole at the end of the day and then you know the girls get to see mommy and daddy on tv they get to go to yeah school. that would be cool right? They get to do things that kids never get to do, right? And like, I'll show the TV, I'll be like, Piper, you, you were in that stadium. You were there when you were six months old in Toronto. You were there in that stadium in Gillette. Like, they've traveled with us, which is really cool.
0: Are they getting a whistle for Christmas? No,
2: we want them to do whatever they want. <laughs> don't, don't follow up.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, good. Uh, you see so many, you know, referee families, and it's great, but I always wonder, you know, did the kid have a, you know, and they love it when they're an adult, yeah. but did they have a choice about getting in or were they pushed to get in? And I always think about that eventually when I have kids, it's that if they eventually want to get into refereeing, awesome, but, hey, if, if they hate football, if they right. hate soccer, exactly. that's yeah, of cool course
0: too. And imagine having a parent with such a high profile and having the pressure of, oh, that's my mum. I, I got to perform like that you know, I'm a purebred. I need to, I need to go into the, I gotta, I got I gotta, especially imagine your kids, they have a mom and a dad that are at that level. Like, well, what's people, like, you know, talk about unrealistic expectations.
2: <laughs> no, they'll do whatever they want to do. If they want to officiate, welcome to it. If they want to play, that's awesome. <laughs> One of the three will play soccer. That's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: I think it's great though that in in 2020 we talk about um, and in such a favourable light, being um, having, being a child of a, of a sports official and it being um, a very socially acceptable and a really positive thing to be on TV to, for it to be a really cool thing. And, and I think that's great that as a culture and a society we've started to appreciate referees a lot more in that role. To know, yeah, this is this is really cool. My my mum is a trailblazer. My mum is. A professional athlete, essentially um, operating um, at the highest levels of professional sport. Whereas maybe going going back back in time, it was you know, ooh, to be a culture of referees. Oh, I, I don't know about I don't know about that. That's just someone who goes out and, and causes chaos and is a strict enforcer. And I think that it's really positive that we can have this conversation and say, yeah, the changing image of a referee is these these cool humans that. Uh, going out and doing cool things so that's really exciting and hopefully referees and and being humans um, and being able to have like the journey that you've had continues for referees going forward as we become a a completely accepted part of of the modern game
2: absolutely you know I'm, i'm on a panel next week actually this week later this week about um officiating as a career and it's careers in soccer and they included officials as you know having a voice on the panel i think is just amazing right and i'm like thank you for having officials as part of this panel. When we think of soccer, it's not just you can be a coach, right? You can also be an official and this could be a career path. You know, there's not today a full-time female official in the United States um, who gets paid a salary to officiate. I hope that changes in the next year or two. I'm here to, to hopefully break that ceiling and make that happen. And if not for me, then for someone behind me. But um, the hope is that's very near and it can be a full-time position for us. And it can be a full-time job. And I think that is um, very much exciting that it can be a career and one, like you said, that we can look positively at where, you know, I get to do something I love in amazing arenas, travel the world, um, get to be on the pitch with some of the best players in, in the globe and be able to compete um, at that level and be able to maintain fitness and technical knowledge with them. I think is, is just such an adrenaline rush for me.
1: Sorry, it's been great talking to you and, and learning about how you've overcome different hurdles in your life. You know, you've come back from having kids three times, which is incredible. And now you've become the first female referee in the MLS for, for 20 years. You know, you've made your debut and the emotions and everything that went through that. I think what I really love, though, I always have, I guess, a, a takeaway. And it was what you touched on about 10, 15 minutes ago, which, which you and your husband have this attitude of just say yes, and we'll figure out the rest of the stuff. Later. I love that. I'm going to, when I talk to my girlfriend, she always goes, oh, how was the podcast? And that's going to be the the one thing that I say. Hey, Tariq talked about this. I think it's great. It was really interesting. So, so thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, that's a great personal takeaway for me. And I really appreciate you giving your time to talk to us. We've learned a lot and hopefully the ref coach community have enjoyed this chat. And I know we have a lot of Nisoa. I'm saying it correctly this time, Nisoa officials on the group. So I hope that they they get something out of this. So, so thank you very much. We really, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, this
2: is a wonderful experience for myself. And thank you guys for making the best of, of the COVID world and putting together some really awesome content so that officials across the world can learn and grow and, and have something to keep them motivated during this very difficult time. So thank you guys for all that you do. This is super awesome.
1: Thank you, Tari. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, Dory. Best of luck.